0: morning. Hope you got your Bibles. Next couple weeks, we're going to be in the same place, Acts 2, 42 to 47. If you're new with us today, we're doing something that's out of the ordinary for us. Normally, we preach expositionally. I'm going to talk about that today. But we're taking a break so that we can look at the vision and purpose of our church. We're two weeks away. We've already constituted as Battleground Community Church. We're two weeks away from our official launch date of that, and there's nothing more important than the question that we can ask ourselves. What is the church anyway? And so we've been taking some time to look at that, and if you missed last week's sermon, I would encourage you to go back and look at it, because what we're doing for the next three weeks is simply applying. We're saying, what are, what is we of Battleground Community Church? And I want to say this, because I'm not going to... I'm not going to caveat everything I say for the next three weeks. I am not, and nor do we seek to be arrogant nor condescending toward anything else or anyone else that's doing anything different than the way we do it. I want you to understand, as far as we're concerned of what we see in Scripture, this is what we as battleground must do. Okay? So I want you to see that, because I want to try to be very clear. So turn with me in your Bible Acts 2.42, let's stand to our feet. Let's read God's Word together. Acts 2, beginning with verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, It is what you have given us so that we might know you, so that we may exalt your son, so that we might answer the question, how shall we then live? God, give us wisdom today. Give us the boldness to say this is the church and this is what we as the church must be about. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Let me read it again. We're going to read it every week. You notice your notes have a little bit more substance today. I did that so that hopefully you can take notes. I want you to be able, this is critical for you to be able to have and to take hold of. I encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the back. The purpose of Battleground Community Church is to glorify God through Christ-exalting worship as we grow together in biblical community while going with the gospel to all peoples. So a few weeks ago we looked at 1 Peter 2:9 to make sure that we understood as far as we are going to say as the Battleground Community Church that we are going to glorify God because this is what scripture says is our very purpose for why we exist. 1 Peter 2:9 remember, said very clearly That we are to proclaim the excellencies of Him who brought us out of darkness into His marvelous light. So there's some proclamation. So we said we are a redeemed community with a clear purpose, and so that purpose, biblically, is to glorify God. How? Well, Matthew 28, 19 tells us. Remember we looked at that. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And so we looked at the life of Jesus, how He made disciples. Then we've looked at the life of the apostles in the early church and how they made disciples. So what is our goal for these disciples? These people that hear the gospel and they repent and God saves them. What is our goal for them? The mission Glory, proclaim the excellencies. How? Through making disciples. What's our goal for these disciples? Well, we don't have to wonder and we don't have to guess because God's Word is both sufficient and clear. Ephesians 4, verse 13. We've got that back up to verse 11 just for context. Ephesians 4, 11. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the listen every word of this is important to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ verse 13 until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of god to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that's our goal for every christ follower and it is nothing else it is that And we see that it is our responsibilities as pastors, as elders, to equip the saints because the work of ministry you're being held accountable for, before your God. And it looks like something. It looks like us being unified. Do you see it in the text? It looks like us growing in the knowledge of the Son of God. It looks like maturity. It looks like the measure of that is not me and it's not you. It is Christ. So that's the goal. So how do we do it? This is important. This is really important. How do we do it? How do I take someone from Matthew 28, 19 to Ephesians four 13? i going to pick on somebody. Let me pick on Jason. So Jason comes up to me after the church and says, I'm going to California, like right now. I said, well, how are you going to get there? Where are you going to go? Well, I don't really have a map. I don't have it. GPS, not sure I said, "Well, you get your car service? a long way out there you're going to fly no, I don't really have a car I don't have any money so I can't buy a plane ticket I'm not sure which way I'm going to go and I don't really have any idea, but I'm going to go now what would I say to myself you might say you're going to get there but you're not going anywhere Brothers and sisters, we can be this way in the church. Though we know what to say. There is no plan to get there. So we look back up in our lives 20 years later and we're at the same place we were. What is our plan to take someone from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity? Well, see, our process is in our purpose statement. That's why our purpose statement is so important. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to look at it. This week we're going to say all of what we're going to do, everything that we're going to say, our threefold simple process to take people from infancy to maturity. Success in the context of community. And that if you're not in the community of faith, you are not even be able to start the process. But if you do, if you will worship with us together to exalt Christ, if you will grow with us together in small groups, and if you will go actively, personally, locally, and globally, you will move toward unity in the body of Christ and maturity. And here's what we're going to say. Everything we want to do as a Battleground Community Church serves to help you and to us to move through that process for the glory of our God. And if it does not serve it, it must be eliminated. This hinges on us as leadership understanding our biblical priorities and it understands on you understanding yours. And so what we want to say today is we want to exalt Christ in biblical community. This is our first step In the process of moving towards maturity and unity as a community. I just want to point out five things. Five expectations that you should come together when you gather weekly. You should have five expectations of what you should expect. Dare I say demand. (laughs) When we gather together. The first is that we should preach the word. We get this from 2 Timothy, at least one of our places, 2 Timothy chapter 4, that you should expect, ultimately, a word-centered worship service. I charge you, remember, Paul, church planner, evangelist, Timothy, pastor. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge, the living, and the dead, and by his appearing of his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. This is the pastor being encouraged to this. Remember Acts 2.42? The people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That was the focus. We should expect and we should demand that the Word of God be preached. But I do not want to be vague this morning. I want you to know what you should expect. When you come in here, ultimately, chiefly, you should expect to hear expositional preaching. It is based on the belief, this is important, that it is the Word of God that is meant to create the church, to feed the church, to develop the church, and to preserve His church. It is with His Word that He does that. And so we take a specific approach to the way we preach it. 2 Timothy 3.16, one chapter back from 2 Timothy 4 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof. I can't speak this morning. For reproof, for that word. (laughs) See, that's why someone has those easier translations, simpler word for us thick-tongued people, for correction and for training in righteousness. See, I knew I needed to stop and say that because someone was going to say it after the service. Verse 17. Listen, same point. That the man of God may be what? Complete. And what? Equipped for every good work. You see, expositional preaching is meant to expose God's Word. We read the passage. We explain the passage. We apply the passage. And this is distinct from topical preaching. Topical preaching gathers multiple passages on a specific topic, whether it be prayer or giving or vision. This is helpful. We are, we are proof of that right now, even needful sometimes. But what we are saying is this is not healthy for you nor the pastor on a regular diet. So can I just be honest to what may happen sometimes in the life of the preacher? If topical preaching isn't my normal pattern, I have a really hard week. I meant to get to the passage, the the topic that I'm going to pick, but quite honestly, I haven't picked it yet. Wake up maybe Thursday, maybe Friday, I'm looking at a blog and it's on discouragement. Man, that's good. So I write down my text, make a few notes, pull out my study Bible. There's three parallel passages. I pick my three parallel passages, pull my three points, get a so what, and there's the sermon. I'm just telling you, that's not what we're gonna do. It's not. That's not the way we're going to handle God's Word. I am not going to stand up and say, the Lord led me to discouragement. We have chosen a book of the Bible, and we will study it, and we will study it all. You see, there's a difference. It is based off what we believe about God's Word. I am saying that that is dangerous for you as a steady diet, and it's dangerous for your pastor. We bind ourselves to the Word. Expositional preaching, listen, is not primarily how I say what I say, but how I decide what to say. You see that? How am I deciding to handle the Word? Expositional preaching is about content and it's about context. Listen, this is if you're taking notes, this is the most important part of what I'm trying to help understand about how we're going to preach the Word. Expositional preaching makes the point of the text the point of the sermon. Sometimes it's not what I intended to say, nor what I want to say. I can still remember preaching through Matthew and the next chapter was on divorce. I was like, oh no! You see what would have happened if I would have bounded myself to the book I would have skipped it. That's what I would have done. I would have hit the easy button. But we are an expositional church that preaches all of it. So I had to put my big boy pants on and preach the Word. And what Jesus said the point of the text was, whats the point of the sermon. That's expositional preaching. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from the Word of Christ. I am saying we will preach the word expositionally because we believe it is God's word that creates life just like it did in Genesis 1, just like it did in Ezekiel 37 with those dry bones. So it creates life when the word of God is spoken. And so we will speak it. And not only will we speak it, we will sing it. Micah really put this section together, these are mostly his verses. But don't forget, this should feel very reformational this morning. If you know your history, it should feel that way. It is that way. You see, for a thousand years, congregational singing was robbed from the congregation. It was the priest and the choir that did chants and Gregorian chants and these things that was locked away. It was the reformers who said, hold on a second. Well, let's just go to probably a verse that they read, Ephesians 5. And see, not only was it the music that was locked away, the Word was locked away from their language as well. Ephesians 5, look at this. He said, man, look what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5, look at the end of verse 18. But be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, singing is an overflow of the love that we have for our family, our Father, our brother, and his family. You know it's true as well as me. When there's joy inside of you, it's going to come out in singing no matter how bad you sing. We are made to worship God. And we are made to do it through singing. And so what should you expect? Well, two words. The first is you should expect Christ-exalting worship. I hope you saw that this morning as I'm going through his points. you You should be able to recall what we just got through singing. And this was the most important passage that Pastor Micah wanted you to know what how he goes about picking worship for us to sing the Word. John 1, 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is He of whom I said, After me comes a man whose ranks before me because he was before me, the goal for Micah every week as he comes is to lead you to behold the Lamb. This is why he is a worship pastor, because he is to shepherd you to behold Christ, to exalt him, because he's worthy. Colossians 3:16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and what happens when it does. Teaching and admonishing one in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We will be Christ centered. We will not be preference driven. I'm not knocking preference. You're going to eat lunch where you desire to eat lunch. You're going to choose the food that you want to eat. And when you get in the car, you're going to turn it on. You're going to hit the kind of music that you prefer. That is fun. That is good. It's just not how we pick the worship services. It's not. We... We want it to be Christ centered. Why? Because your purpose is 1 Peter 2 9 to 12, to proclaim His excellencies. And so when we gather, we will proclaim the person and work of Christ. That's how we go about it. Second word, you should expect it, the music, to be word centered, gospel focused. In other words, the music. The music should teach sound doctrine and good theology. And if it doesn't, we're not going to sing it. And I'll push you a little further. You need to ask yourself if you should be listening to it. We throw rocks at secular music, and we listen to Christian music with bad doctrine. You know some of the best music that's out there being produced is hip-hop? You ought to listen to some of it. Because it has the clearest gospel and some of the best theology. What is the word meant to do when we gather together to sing? It's supposed to set the table for the word, with the word, and then come around after the word and demand a response from that word. That's what the singing should do. So question... Should the church be attractional? Like a trick question. If someone ever asks you that, remember Jesus, always ask a question to bring clarity to another question. So if someone says, do you think the church should be attractional? Say, well, what do you mean by that? Do you mean you believe the church should be distractional? Is that the opposite of attractive? Is distractive? distractive? So what, what do we mean? So we would say, well, yes and no. (laughs) We've already made this point in community, haven't we? That biblical community in the Acts 2 church was very attractive to those around them. When you love people well, when you bring the gospel to bear in both word and deed, it is attractive. But what we are saying, that secularism and preferences do not drive our gathering and exalt in Christ. Christ does, and His Word does. And if that is attractive, praise the Lord. If it puts us in jail, praise the Lord. We should preach the Word. We should sing the Word. And listen, we should see it. We should see the Word. We This is what we are going to do in a few minutes. We're going to see the words through the sacraments, through the ordinances. And no, I do not have a problem with sacraments provided you understand what that word means. We are not Catholic. We do not believe that what we are going to do in a few minutes justifies us before a holy God because repentance and faith in Christ did that once for all. We do this because the Lord commands us to do it. It is holy. It is given to us. And so, if you never read any of these books it's put out by Nine Marks, it's called Church Basics. I ordered some for Lord's Supper and Baptism. They didn't get here yet. This is on the Great Commission. This is what these definitions came, come from. They're the clearest that I know to help us understand what we believe about the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, this is in your notes, is a church's act of communing with Christ and each other, and of commemorating Christ's death by partaking of bread and wine, and a believer's act of receiving Christ's benefits and renewing his or her commitment to Christ and his people, thereby making the church one body and marking it off from the world. Bullet down. You can talk about that in your growth groups and think about that. Both of these have both an act of the church and an act of a believer. The bottom line is the Lord's Supper announces the gospel to proclaim the saving death of Jesus Christ. That's what we are doing. This is what we are remembering. This is what we are fellowshipping with Christ and His church. The Lord's Supper is first and foremost a celebration that's supposed to be done often. Remember we looked at this last week. Acts 20 verse 7. On the first day of the week when they were gathered together to break bread. We saw it in Acts 2. They broke bread and house to house. Breaking bread here corporately. They did it often, but they did it rightly. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is mad. He's warning the church because there was those that were rich inside the church that were using this to have a party. The Lord's Supper. He said, You better take it rightly. And see, this is important. The Lord's Supper announces the gospel, and so it brings with it demands from the gospel. Listen to me. For me to wrongly administer it, and for you to wrongly take it, is the same as preaching a false gospel. Because we are here. And this is about proclaiming the Lord's death. And how we proclaim it is important. And that's what he's saying. Do not come unprepared. This is serious. We are proclaiming the Gospel with this. This is why it is to be done often. It is to be done rightly. And it is to be done by believers. We practice open communion. If you have repented and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are welcome to the table. But if you're not a believer, you are not welcome to the table, not because we are mean or arrogant, but because we love you. And 1 Corinthians 11 says, you bring judgment on yourself if you come to the table to remember something that you have never repented of and put your faith in. We see the Word. Through the Lord's Supper. We see it through baptism. Matthew 28, 19. Remember, make disciples and be baptized. So, same little booklet. Definition. Baptism is the church's act of affirming and portraying a believer's union with Christ by immersing him or her in water. And a believer's act of publicly committing him or her to Christ and His people, thereby uniting a believer to the church and marking off him or her from the world. You see this in both of these, both the Lord's Supper and baptism. There is an act of the church and there is an act of the believer. The church in baptism is both affirming something and displaying something. It is affirming that this person is walking in repentance and in the new life. It is displaying something. It is displaying the power of the resurrection to bring new life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is a believer's act to stand. Yes, the act of baptism is the public profession of faith. It's not walking the aisle. It's not. It It is baptism that is the time when they stand up and make a public profession, Jesus Christ is the Savior of my soul and the Lord of my life. And when they do, they are submitting themselves, listen, to Christ and His church. I want you to see this, Romans 6. This is an important text to understand that we do not believe that baptism saves you. We believe the Holy Spirit does. There's a picture of something. Listen to Romans 6. Look at verse 3. And do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him and by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have been united with Him in a death like His, and we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. This is what baptism means shows that through the new covenant, the promise of the Holy Spirit has come on this life. And they were buried with Christ and now they are raised to walk in newness of life. It is an act of the church. It is an act of the believer. It is the way we worship our God. We preach the Word. We sing the Word. We see the Word. And we must pray the Word. Colossians 4.2 says, Devote yourself to prayer. We are not saying that this building is not important. We're simply saying it's not the church. It's not the church. When the people gather, the redeemed community, where they're gathering is a place of prayer. Isaiah 56, 7. They had a temple. Listen to this. These I will bring to my holy mountains, God talking, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. From my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And then in Luke 19.46, remember what happened? Jesus walks into the temple and they're buying and selling and made it a house of trade. And he cleaned house and he quoted this. Scripture, my house shall be called a house of prayer, and you made it a den of thieves. But in Acts 16, 13, if you want to go there and look, they end up looking for a place of prayer and find it outside somewhere. On the Sabbath day, they went outside the gate to the riverside and were supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to a woman who had come, who had come together. God's people. Come together to exalt Christ and to expose the Word, and when they do, they pray. It's their place of prayer, and what we pray is the Word. It's one of one text of many I could read. Romans fifteen five. Romans fifteen five. Listen to the way he's praying in God's will, how it informs his prayer. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant to you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. There's a lot of good gospel in that praying as we gather praying the word over each other. Ephesians 6 says, put on the armor of God and pray. The most important part this morning is when you gather, you hear the word, and you respond to it. We can major on the minors and miss what God has said we must do. When we hear God's Word, we are responsible for what we hear. So when you come, you should have an expectation that you should respond to the Word. So, I just want to take you to a text that I know we've all seen many times. Matthew 4. Someone tell me what Matthew 4 is. Somebody speak, it's okay, talk to church, It's okay. This is just a gathering of the redeemed, remember? What are we here? What, what What's going on in Matthew 4? Come on. Getting tested. Thank you. Tested. So it says, verse 1, that he went in to be what by the devil? Tempted. Tested. Tempted from what? So if you take these three different things and you put them all together. What was Jesus being tempted to do? I hope we can agree. He was being tempted to disobey the will of God. In in different ways, yes. But at the end of the day, the devil wanted him to disobey. And he uses God's Word And this is important this morning because I am afraid that we have taught people that you use Scripture like a magic wand, like an invisible shield of of some sorts. This was about obedience. This is what Jesus is using it. He is quoting God's Word because He is responding to God's Word in obedience in His time of temptation. This is about responding. Don't treat God's Word as some kind of mystical enchantment that we put around our necks or wear on our shirts. It is meant for us to respond to in obedience with our life. We use it when the temptation comes because it is what we are grabbing hold of to, to say, I don't see it, but I will obey my Lord in faith. We respond to it in obedience We respond to it in rejoicing. We use it when we plead to God, when we just don't understand. And we use it in our worship. Our response to God should be word-centered obedience and radical generosity. Dare I go back to Acts 2, like we did last week, and talk about how generous these people were. And you better believe it. I'm talking about tithes and offerings. And I'm not going to keep having topical sermons because our giving is low. I'm simply recalling you to respond to the Word in faithful, devoted obedience. Because that's what followers of Christ do. And so I need only to remind the followers of Christ that this is a family. If you don't give even over and above your tithes and offerings, who's going to take care of the single woman? How are we going to do what James said, tells us to do in James one twenty seven? I was so encouraged having to do the budget. is not the most exciting thing that, that a pastor gets to do. But when our, our budget and finance team came together, they were intensely concerned about your pastors. And that was an encouraging thing because it's something that not every pastor has experienced. And so I, I want to commend you but there's much to do. And we must do it and we must respond because this is not a response to me. It is a response to the Word of God. But make no mistake, your radical generosity is not contained to something that goes in a basket. That is just a pretty good sign. It is your life. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Worship is your life. It is your every day. And so when I ask us today, is how do you come to corporate worship? What are you doing? As Sunday draws, the first day of the week draws close. It was just a verse. I just love this verse in Hosea. I want to preach Hosea so bad. I just love that. I love the history behind it. I love the picture that it paints. Just a couple of bees this morning that I want to challenge us with before we come to the table together. We need to come to worship prepared. It's not the pastors that are just supposed to be preparing. And I know many of you know it. You serve in all kinds of ways all the time. Hosea 10.12, though. Listen to it. Listen to this verse. Sow for your self-righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. This is not something you do on Sunday. This is something you must do in your everyday. You must seek the Lord. There's a preparation, and you do it every day, whether you realize it or not. I've got a question. Are your kids shocked when you come to church or shocked when you miss? Are your kids shocked when you come to church or shocked when you miss church? And if it's one and not the other, you should be concerned about what they will do with the community of faith when they go to college. Because what you do not prioritize and prepare for and devote yourself to, they will see no need for it at all. We need to be prepared. And listen, as Micah has already said, we need to be on time. Because this is a priority. And yes, Facebook and the website is the front door of the church. It is. People check it out there. But when they come into that front door, what they need to do is see the community of faith here and loving each other and welcome them. Luke 12 simply paints the picture of of God's people who are always stand ready for their Jesus to come. We are always prepared. We are always about what our Father tells us to be about because we want Him to come. We expect Him to come. We are prepared for Him to come and we have devoted ourselves until He comes. The Bible has so much to say about do not come to worship in hypocrisy. Be sincere. People don't need your immense knowledge. They need your sincerity. They need your humility. They need your brokenness. You know how many people's going right through through anniversaries of death in their life right now? It's everywhere. These anniversaries come of these painful experiences in our life and sometimes we're not okay when we come to church. And listen, it is okay not to be okay. This is family. Listen to David. In the midst of his sin, he said in Psalms 51 verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. David said... "If." If I could have just offered these sacrifices, I would, but that's not what God wants from you. What is worship? The sacrifices of God, verse 17, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise, and neither will we. I mean this out of love. We do not need more preaching We need more repentance. We don't need more preaching in our lives. We need to take in and respond to and apply that which we have heard. We need to be expectant. Expect for what? When you gather, you should expect to exalt Christ, to hear from Christ, and to respond. Hebrews 4.12, we've read it many times within your life of the body of Christ. But you see, the context of Hebrews 4.12 is the people that are at the brink of leaving because of suffering. And so he uses the children of Israel that says, They were at the brink at the promised land, but they could not enter because they did not trust me. And so he says, he uses this picture of creation and ties it in with the gospel. It says, please enter into the rest that is only found in Jesus Christ. And abide there, dwell there, love to be there. And to that, Ephesians 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing the divisions of the soul and of the spirit and of joints and of marrow. Discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Do you come expecting God's word to do that to you? Well, this is what it does. Do you gather to find rest? Do you believe the more I trust him, the more I will rest in his finished work? The less I will worry the better husband and wife and parent I will be. Have you ever said in worship and a preaching or teaching, and the Holy Spirit do this to you? Pierces in to the very thoughts, the very motivation nobody even knows there, and it pierces all the way into the very your very soul, into the very heart of why you're doing what you're doing, and he puts his finger on it. You see what I mean? When He does that, what He is giving you the invitation to do is to respond to that Word. And we respond with repentance. When God convicts you of your sin, He is saying, I love you. I have chose you for my glory. And I'm making you just like me in holiness. Now repent of that. Follow me. It's a gift from God. And we never neglect an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to make us more like our Jesus. Pray with me. So, Lord, as we respond in prayer, least no one moving don't move I want to thank you that you allow us to come into your presence to worship you I want to thank you that right now there are people in Nigeria, in China, Central Asia, that are finding a way to gather together with a group of believers to worship you. I thank you that you have allowed us to sing to your name because of the joy that you put within us, and you're going to give us an opportunity in just a second to see the word through the Lord's Supper. Most of all, Lord, we want to thank you that through the power of the Holy Spirit that you have put within us, you give us the ability to respond to you in obedience. Because if you would not have moved on us first, we would have never moved towards you. So we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And now, Lord, we thank you for the cross. And now he invites us to proclaim the gospel through the Lord's Supper. So, praise team, I invite you to come forward now. Deacons, you can get in your places. In just a minute, let me explain to you what we're going to do, how we respond. We use the Lord's Supper as a response. Gives you the opportunity to respond to the gospel. So what's going to happen, is you see the praise team is doing it now, in just a minute, after I say a few things, as we sing, as we worship, you come to the table, you take both elements, you go back to your seat, and as you worship your God, as you remember the person and the work of Christ, worship Him through your communion with Him in the Lord's Supper and with His church. I want to now call us to prayer again. Because as we have said, it is important how we come to the table. And so let us now spend just a couple minutes bringing the cross to bear in our life and asking Him for forgiveness. Lord, who do we have but You? Where do we go where we can receive forgiveness, pardon? And Lord, we come to You as Your children. We are not coming to You for You, To save us. For you have already saved us. We are coming to you Lord. Because our sin separates us. Our relationship with our father. Because there is sin in our life. And so Lord we want to lay that out on the table today. To say Lord forgive me for that sin. Thank you for the blood of Christ. That was shed for us body broken for us so that we may come to you anytime and say Abba forgive me Father he promises you will forgive us and so for that we thank you in Jesus name Luke twenty-two fourteen 14 says this and when the hour came he reclined at the table and the apostles with him and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This is this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So brothers and sisters, before we come to the table, can I remind you of three things. The Lord's Supper looks back to the cross. This is what is in our minds and our hearts and in our prayers as we come to the table. On the cross, God saved the people for Himself through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. He freed them from His sin and made them His own. And on that night, before His great act of deliverance, Jesus gave them a meal to celebrate until He comes. In the Lord's Supper, each of us says, I eat this bread and drink this cup because of what the Lord did for me on the cross when He freed me from my sins. It looks back to the cross. It looks to the present. It looks to our present union with Christ and to each other. Paul, speaking to people about their idolatry, uses communion. To help them understand who they had communion with. he says the cup of blessing that we bless, it is not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, is it not a participation, a fellowship, a communion in the body of Christ? Paul's making the point that we share together in the benefits of Christ's death. And the Lord's Supper. We keep company with Christ and His church. The Lord's Supper looks to the future. He has said it twice in here, I will not eat this again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26 says, You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And Revelation 16 says, One day there will be a great supper And we will gather with our Jesus just as he has promised. And so as we respond and worship, we remember back to the cross. We remember to the present, to our present union with Christ and his church. And we look forward to that day that we will eat this again with him. I call you to the tables as we worship to simply take both elements. And as we sing and as we respond, You take worship, and you worship with the Lord and his church. Let's stand and worship together.